2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Oh, hi. Osha Ginsburg here. This is Better Make It Quick, the uh, short and sharp and sweet and lovely version of Better Than Yesterday, which is a podcast that since 2013 has been trying to help you make today better than yesterday, something you hear on this show and every show is guaranteed to do just that. Mondays, Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm here with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. There's a huge back catalogue, all right? There's hundreds of episodes, hundreds of interviews. So uh, I thought you might like to take a listen to this conversation from 2015 in Ultimo in Sydney at the uh, Grand Central of the public broadcaster in Australia, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. In Ultimo, I travelled there to go and meet with Lee Sales, who is easily one of Australia's most respected journalists, authors, and podcast hosts. She has been the lead actor of the ABC News and current affairs program 730. For ten years, Lee and I both grew up in Brisbane, and uh, well, I didn't really attend University of Queensland. University wasn't really for me, but Lee managed to stay there. I asked her what she remembers about her time in university.
0: My lasting memory of that era is that very quickly when I started uni, I thought this is great, and I've chosen the right thing. I really love this. I remember I used to go to the we called the refectory, like the canteen, with my friends from school who were doing law and they would talk about what they were doing and I would think... Oh, that is so boring! I couldn't believe how boring what they were doing was, and I found what I was doing super interesting and engaging, which was great. And also, my friends that I did that course with were just it was mostly women, and they were just such a great bunch of really smart and fun and interesting people. You know, many of whom I'm still in touch with. So that was just an excellent three years. I really really what drew liked you to it. journalism. Uh, I think.
3: Because oh, you've got to make this, this – astonishing. You have to make these decisions while you're in high school. I know. Hormones are raging. You want to be where the cute girls or boys are. You, <laughs> wanna, you don't know what's going on. You want to – do I live my childhood dream? Do I make my parents happy? What are – you know? Well,
0: and I, you know, I often say to kids now who are doing HSC, the thing you realise when you're older is that there's not any one path to get somewhere. And so, like, I look at kids doing HSC and they're under so much pressure and they feel like they've got to get the mark. That's the grade
3: 12 and, or yeah. the senior year mark. Like, if you're in the States, it'd be your SAT or in, in, in Brisbane it'd be the OP or whatever.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And they feel like they've got to get the marks to get into university to the course that they've chosen. Well, actually, if you say if you wanted to do, you know, science or something and you didn't get the marks, well, you just go in and you do arts for one year and you transfer over. Like it's no biggie. Whereas kids get so the pressure is just absolutely unbelievable. Anyway, so I really loved writing and I really loved reading, even though you know I would love to be a novelist, that sort of artistic type. Um, stuff I didn't see as a viable career option. So, journalism, I thought, was about the closest to having a job that involved writing and reading but that was actually a proper job.
3: Mm. Right. So, yeah, that was why. What did you learn at university that you still use today?
0: Actually, it was a really good practically-based course. So, I remember when I started working feeling like I had some good basic skills, like just about things like, you know, what is this story about? How do you write a basic news lead? The who, what, when, where and why? Just basic skills of television, like shot listing, which is where you watch a tape back and you write down every shot with a time code so that when you're in the edit, you know, you can find it later. Those sort of craft skills. My
3: favourite one is the... Just the guy who works at the business or the store or the politician just walking across their lawn <laughs> like they do because they need a cutaway. Yeah,
0: exactly.
3: <laughs> this is me just casually walking because I always walk this way.
0: I <gasps> know, oh, making a cup of tea. Yeah, it the old making a cup of tea shot. <laughs> Some exactly. Actuality. Yeah, exactly. Just all those craft sort of skills because yeah. really, you know, like a lot of occupations, journalism is a trade. It's not really a, a, well, you know, it is now, but it wasn't really a profession. And then it sort of became something you had a university degree for. Whereas only, you know, five or ten years before I went to uni, most people got a cadetship straight out of school and you just learnt mm. on the job like you would if you were, you know, you had a cadetship which was like an apprenticeship like you would if you were a plumber. Yeah. So, yeah, I had got some good basic skills out of that. And and also I think just that university era opens your eyes a bit to just the world of, you know, literature. And I remember I read heaps of stuff and it felt like it was a really rich learning time and a time actually of also Learning how to learn, if that makes sense, like learning Absolutely. how to teach yourself yeah. things.
3: Yeah, I, I had, I had no idea who was the first business. Always somebody who was the first person that said you could make something of this. Lee, you could actually, you could rise above. There's something different about you.
0: I don't know that anyone's ever said to me that overtly um, that that was the case. I remember the man that employed me to come to work at the ABC, John Cameron. His name was. Um, had a lot of confidence in me and would give me assignments to do that were probably beyond my level of experience because he trusted that I could do them. And I think often when people treat you like that, you feel loyal to them and then you just kill yourself to prove that their faith hasn't been misplaced. So he was great like that. I remember also some advice at the time that I really bristled against, but in hindsight, it was incredibly prescient and useful. I had a boss by the name of John Budd when I was about 24, I guess, and I'd only just moved to Sydney. And he said to me one day, you are in way too much of a hurry. Like you want everything yesterday and you've got a long career ahead of you and you need to consolidate. And actually you can't just be doing jobs for six months and then thinking, you know, what next? So you need to actually slow down a little bit and, you know, just take your time and enjoy the moment a bit more. And he also said, and you also think that everyone's always on your side and going to help you get what you want. And that's not actually the case. And it's a naive way to look at the world. And at the time, I remember bristling a bit to both of those pieces of advice. And then obviously, as you get older, you realize that was actually really great advice. So I got, you know, I went off to be the Washington correspondent for the ABC when I was 28 because I was in such a stupid hurry. And then I got back when I was 32 and that was the job that I'd really, really wanted to do. And then I got home and I was only 32. So then, you know, what do you do? So I try a bit more now to just enjoy what I'm doing at the time instead of thinking, what am I going to do next? Whereas in my 20s, I was always thinking, what am I going to do next? Whereas now I just think, you know what, I actually really like doing this job for now. I don't need to worry at the moment about that.
3: That's brilliant advice for young people at the beginning of their careers. Don't don't be in a rush. You will get where you want to go. 2015 was when Lee and I had a conversation and news at that time it was not easy, but it certainly was not what it is today. At the moment a lot of us are struggling with how to stay up to date with news and yet at the same time not let it put us in a panic or get us sad or depressed. Lee has been on the front line of journalism for close to 30 years. I asked a How she manages to compartmentalise, to decompress, to switch off.
0: I've found that harder as I've gotten older because I just think life experience brings, can bring more compassion and empathy and whatnot. Now, when I'm in 730, if a story comes on that I know is going to be awful, it's about, you know, abused children or animal cruelty or things like that, I just ask them to kill the sound. I just can't watch it. Or I make the floor manager, who's the guy who's in the studio with me, talk to me over the top of it so I don't have to hear it. Because I just find things really, I just dwell on things and you think about, the thing that I hate in my job is that I sometimes learn information that about the way people behave or treat each other that never would have crossed my mind, that people could act like that or could show such cruelty to their own child. And then I can't stop thinking about it. So the easiest thing for me I find is to just duck the details. So say, for example, the Royal Commission into instit- Institutionalised Child Sex Abuse, I pretty much you know freely admit i don't think i've listened to a single story that we have had on the show because i can't bear to hear it and i don't i just don't want to be replaying the details of that stuff over and over now i know that that is bad on one level and i and i'm very grateful that there are other people who can go journalists and whatnot who can go and sit in there every day and do that reporting and lawyers who can go through that and help those people but i know that i'm not one of them i just find that sort of stuff really difficult
3: is that, where, like, how, how do you let off that scene? Because how do, how do you not take that energy home?
0: Um, it's hard, I think. I mean.
3: Because that is, I mean, it's tough. that if you were a fire, you worked in the fire department and you're pulling, mm. you know, remains of, kids out of car wrecks which I've seen and my folks being doctors we used to have to stop at the side of the road before mobile phones and I saw more dead bodies by the time I was 10 when we used to drive down to Adelaide just you see what's left of a human after a big car wreck Mm. you're eight and you Mm. go okay there Mm. you go at the end of the day folks like fire department ambulance they have Mm. debriefs that's worked into them but if you're here watching that raw footage all day long and you're just dealing with just this waterfall of I mean let's face it no one's going to write a 6 minute news story about how awesome this person was to someone else today <laughs> no.
0: It's, no it's it's all here's bad. a horrible
3: thing that happened and it's horrible and we just want you to know that it's horrible yeah,
0: i mean you talk to your colleagues about it a bit of course i think the media generally has gotten better at acknowledging that counseling is required for mm. people who do you know these sorts of distressing stories I think women are pretty good because we tend to naturally want to just talk to our friends about everything and blab everything out and whatnot so you know I I do talk to my friends about things if they've bothered me but there definitely is a level where you try to detach from stuff a little bit and I also think to be honest that this immersion in just tragedy and negativity and all these horrible things will probably be the thing that eventually I'll just get tired of that and Mm. that will probably be the thing that Pushes me out of the type of journalism that I do. It'll be a question of you know how long do I want to every night of the week sort of be immersed in that up to my up to my neck. Um,
3: well, the fact that you are affected by it means that you you, you still care about yeah. the job. If you just read the auto queue and then clocked off at the end of the day,
0: yeah, that would be worrying. I yeah. think if you, I mean, if I could present a story about some poor child having been raped by a priest and not feel an emotional connection to it then I reckon that would be a real warning sign that there's a problem there but you know at the same time you've got to keep it together as well because I think in my role my demeanour sends a message to the audience about you know what to think about this or how to respond to things so you can't and, and also to the as a measure of respect to the person say if I'm interviewing somebody about something hard I don't want to turn it into being about me because I'm crying or upset about something so I interviewed for example earlier this year Betty Churcher who was the former head of the National Gallery of Australia who's a really awesome wonderful woman and she was dying of cancer she didn't know how long she had left it turned out she had only three weeks and she wanted to do just one final interview about her life and her love of art and how she felt about dying and whatnot. It was a really amazing interview and she was, you know, it was very affecting. And I, when I'd been a young reporter and I'd first moved to Sydney, I'd been on the arts round when Betty Churchill was the head of the National Gallery and she was just one of those amazing people that I just thought she was fantastic. She was quite striking looking, she had this really silver, sleek bob and she had this great passion and enthusiasm for art. I just, I really thought she was the bee's knees. And so then, you know, 20 years later to see her, she still was an amazing looking woman. She still had the sleek, silver bob, but she was frail. And to know that she was doing this interview with me and then, you know, was, was dying, it was really, really affecting. And then when I had to say thank you to her at the end for doing the interview, I was really struggling to speak because I thought this is the last time anyone's ever going to say thank you for joining. It's the last time she's ever going to be on television. Someone whose career has been about communicating, you know, this is the last time. And there's not that many times in your life when you know that something's the last time. Sometimes in hindsight, you realise that was the last time, but that was, you know, Mm. the last time. And I really could have just broken down and bawled my eyes out, but I thought, well, it's not about me. It's, and it's about, Betty wants to have, you know, a dignified final public bow yeah. and so let's just keep it in check. And so, you know, sometimes with things like that, I'll keep it in check while I'm there and then get in the car and have a bit of a
3: silk. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's understandable, though. That's, that's how people, you know, you wouldn't be human if Pris- you didn't have that. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to hear more from Lee and her thoughts about how we can make sure that the news we're consuming is actually the facts and isn't biased right after this quick break.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month.
1: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
3: This is Better Make It Quick. I'm Osha Ginsberg. We're chatting with Lee Sales today. Uh, You can find the full conversation in the back catalogue. We are coming up to an election year here in Australia and... In our country, there's a few people who have this job and Lee Sales is one of those people. It's her job to put people and politicians on the spot, to hold them to account, to ask them questions, to see if their point of view or their policies stand up to questioning. I asked her if she takes this idea into her work every day.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And so I think it's my job, if you have an opinion and if your opinion is worth having or if you want to pursue a particular policy, well, then how worthwhile can it be or how good can it be if it can't stand up to basic scrutiny? So anyone who comes on, I'll sort of step back and think, okay, what are the holes in their argument and how do I sort of press them to see if they can actually explain away those holes? And so from my perspective, the best interviews are the ones where I've thought, okay, here's the holes. And then the person actually is able to bat away my questions really effectively. And I don't mean people just stonewalling. I mean the people who actually try to persuade you and address what you're saying. If I get to the end of it and I feel like, you know, I've sort of got nothing left to ask because they've really effectively addressed all of that, I think that's a good interview. And I think it serves the other person's purpose as well because if viewers at home are persuaded that, oh, well, she gave that person a pretty tough going over and they've actually answered it and acquitted themselves pretty well then surely that makes their position more persuasive and they're more likely then to persuade the public to come along with whatever it is they're doing. It, it always amazes me how much viewer feedback I get from people to say how much they hate politicians not answering questions and how obvious it is to people.
3: I can't stand it.
0: Yeah, it's just I was, viewers hate Well, it. We'll
3: get to that in a moment, but the ABC, not unlike the BBC in the UK, operates to a charter mm. and there's very, very strict guidelines that other broadcasters don't need to really Mm -hmm. adhere to regarding um, fair and balanced report, actual fair and balanced, not Fox News fair and balanced, but actual fair and balanced reporting. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the process that you go through in preparing for an interview to make sure that you present well, I guess a neutral, you come from a neutral space.
0: Yeah. Look, I try really hard to, look, luckily for me, I'm not personally a very political person and generally I don't have very strong views on most issues. So I don't feel like there's many issues where I have to put aside my own personal thinking on them. But generally I just try to think, I, I try to just approach it from a really rational intellectual, pragmatic perspective rather than any sort of ideological perspective. So so as soon as I find myself thinking, oh, well, that's just wrong, that's a warning sign to me that that's my personal opinion creeping in because words like right and wrong or moral or immoral, that's you know a real value judgment. So I try to just divorce my sort of process from that. So, So for me, it's very much a logical thing if the interviewee says, A, are the consequences going to be B or C? And then I try to just address it from that sort of a a way of looking at it. And you have to sort of judge it in the moment when you're doing the interview. How often do you interrupt? When do you pull somebody up? What's, I guess, fair in terms of, you know, how much you let the other person speak and whatnot. And they're all things you have to decide on the run. So it's quite hard to quantify how I make that decision. But generally it boils down to, If I think they're actually addressing the question that I ask and engaging, then I'll tend to let them go. And I also try to, if I am cutting someone off and interrupting a lot, I will sometimes say, look, sorry to interrupt, the reason I'm interrupting is because I think that our viewers would be interested to know blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah. And then that sort of signals to the talent, you're annoying, you're not annoying me, you're annoying a million people who vote for you. So try to make a connection with them. And it's also flagging to the audience don't be annoyed at me interrupting. Here's what I'm trying to do on your behalf, yeah. basically. So yeah,
3: I think a lot of it, certainly for me, and I'm I'm not asking you to agree or disagree with me, but certainly a lot of it for me comes from where I stand and my bias when I view. Like, say for example, let's go back seven years when the last government was in, and someone's grilling a Labor politician about right. the the proposed carbon tax, and I'm going, finally, yes, great. Get off his back! Stop! <laughs> stop annoying him. He's fine. Stop! Stop being so rude. We need this. We need this. And then when I see you slicing up the treasurer after the latest federal budget, I'm like, fuck yeah!
0: <laughs> Have that, Hockey. Yeah.
3: That's my bias. That's, That's the way every- I look at it.
0: That's how everyone looks at it. Um, so yeah, I find from interview to interview, you know, different people like an interview and then they get cranky at a a certain interview. But, you know, I was talking to my producer before about The Killing Season, the documentary about the last Labor Pretty awesome. It's amazing. But we were talking about how we think, you know, Rudd and Gillard are coming out of it. And she had the exact opposite opinion to me. We're watching the same material, but we have the exact opposite opinion as to who's coming out on top. So... It's so unbelievable, you know, what people actually take. Even from the same interview, some people will say, like that Joe Hockey budget night interview, some people will say, oh, that was way too hard, you were out of line, and other people will say, you're such a liberal lover, you gave him a free run. Go figure. (laughs)
3: You really can't please everyone, can you? If you want to hear my full conversation with Lee Sales, it's from 2015. Scroll back to the earlier episodes in this podcast feed. You can catch Lee every night at 7.30 on the ABC. And her podcast, which is fantastic, is called Chat 10 Looks 3. And um, that's with her extraordinarily esteemed colleague, Annabelle Crabb. I'll be back here on Friday for a quick chat and Monday again uh, with a guest. Thanks for being here. If you need me, send us your email at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram and TikTok if you like. Always love to hear from you. Thanks to Rachel Barrett, my executive producer, Andy Maher, who's working hard to make these shows. And um, of course, this podcast episode was produced by the wonderful Bree Steele. Toe Hyder on the music and you for listening. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. I'll see you on Friday. Sleep well. Dream of beautiful things.